My name's Morris. Uh, I'm another one of the leaders here. I'll just pray before we think about that together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for truth that really exists in the world and that you are interested in us finding that truth. And so we pray you would help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, with all due respect, I need to say this. Why are you here? I don't mean to be rude, but really, what significance do your decisions have on anything? Practically none. Given that the earth is millions of years old and may well go on for millions of years, and given that you are one small, tiny speck in a small, getting less significant all the time country, on a planet that is like a small piece of sand on the largest beach ever, and that you are one of six billion people currently alive, and there are billions of people who've lived before you have totally forgotten. Gosh, why do anything? Some people might say you are laboring under the delusion that your choices matter. But here's the thing. You can't actually live without making some choices, even if it's the choice not to make any choices. You have to live making something important. You're always choosing something. But then you can always take the point of view that what you've chosen was totally pointless, given the the size and length of everything. And so some people have said, guys, you just need to face up to it. You are kidding yourselves that you matter. There is a famous atheist. We'll be thinking a bit more about him this evening called Bertrand Russell. There he is in his armchair. He's not an advert for the happiness of atheism. Um, But he said this, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. And he didn't believe there was a God. So he said, stop being stupid, everybody. Life is meaningless. Get over it. But we have grave difficulty really believing that all our choices are meaningless, don't we? I went a couple of weeks ago to see La La Land. Have you seen it? I thoroughly commend it. And at the end, Emma Stone sings this song where she says, here's to the, to the ones who dream. She sings this whole song about the choices that we make, the dreams that we have, the things that we want to do in the world. They're significant. They're exciting. They matter. We should celebrate them. So which is true. Well, the reading from the Bible that Jack's just read to us says this. There is something that connects everything that has ever existed. There is a meaning. And that meaning is freely accessible to us. There's no need to be lost. My parents have just been on a trip to a country called Namibia, which is lots of desert. Um, if you're from Namibia, and that's a terrible generalization, I apologize. Just what they've told me from their like, two-day visit. And they uh, went on a sort of tour of the desert in like a sand dune type truck to see the sand dunes. They said it was really amazing. But one of the things they discovered was when you're on in the sand dunes, you can think you're miles from anywhere because the sand is always moving and shifting. And then you sort of go over one temporary hill and discover you're actually near civilization all the time. You just felt like you were far away because the way the sand was lying at that moment. 
And that changes everything. Me too. I, I thought I was lost, but I wasn't. It was just right beside me. If you find that the truth of what everything is all about is actually near you, it will change everything. Oh, it is great news. It's great news that our decisions matter because what we're going to see this morning is that the truth is very near, but it's disturbing. It will be life-changing if that's true. It will make a difference. And this first reading we've had today is all about that. What it shows us is this, that matter matters. This book Jack read from is called John's Gospel. It's something like a biography of a person called Jesus who to the naked eye looked just sort of like a peasant traveling preacher who lived in the Middle East in about the first century. Strangely, he has become perhaps the most significant figure in all of human history given that he never attended university or wrote a book or, you know, was famous at the time at all beyond a small circle of people. And maybe you think that's arguable, but in fact, the date today that you're using, the 5th of February, 2017, that date comes from his life, 2017 years after he lived. Our calendar is arranged around him, We're on this guy who never held a government position or led an army or anything like that. So that is strange, isn't it? But John, who is the writer of this book, has an explanation for that. He describes Jesus in the very first verse as the word. In the beginning was the word. And by the word, he means Jesus. And he says, Jesus was there in the beginning. So when everything came into existence, when the big bang, I don't know what you say it did, banged, uh, blew, exploded, I don't know. But when it went, (laughs) when matter was at one point and suddenly began expanding outwards, John says, Jesus, the first century carpenter, was somehow there. In the beginning was the word. And he called Jesus the Word, rather than just Jesus. That was a borrowed idea, because the people who John was writing to believed there was one thing that connected everything that existed together. One idea that made sense of the world that we lived in. They just thought they couldn't find it. But they thought that thing must exist, and they called it this Word, the Word that lies behind everything. Everything that exists must be united by something. We just don't know what it is. And John is saying, Jesus, the person who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, is that thing that connects everything that has ever been made together. Quite a claim. Middle Eastern wandering teacher was there when universe began. Be quite a good headline, wouldn't it? Middle Eastern wandering teacher is the thing that connects all of history together. And here's something else very strange, John says in these verses. The word was God, and the word was with God. Something odd there, isn't there? When we talk about God, we're not just talking about a force, or even just one being above all other beings. 
Did you notice that God, who somehow is above and before everything in the beginning, is also plural? Jesus was God, and he was with God. The God who was there in the beginning has always been a relationship. Well, there's an implication for us if these amazing claims are true, and it's this, what I put on the screen. Matter matters. Matter matters. You are not bonkers to feel, well, you might be, but you're not bonkers to feel like the things I am deciding about in this world now have significance. If there is one reason that everything was made, one thing that connects everything together, and that reason, that being that God took a human form and came to live in this world, then this world and what we do in it must really be important. You're not crazy to feel that. If he really walked this world and felt pain and formed relationships and talked about marriage and ate food and had a job and mourned people who died, then we're not stupid for thinking our decisions about those things matter somehow. When we feel the weight of those decisions, we are right. When we feel that, we are close to the truth. It's just on the other side of the sand dune. Who would have thought that coming to church, reading this book, would be the sand shifting and finding we've always been close? The one who made everything, for whom everything was made, who connects everything, brings a relationship beyond this world to us here. So things in this world matter. I wonder, have you ever seen the TV program Undercover Boss? You know that program? So it's something like the head of Burger King or some other corporate entity puts on a terrible disguise and goes and works in his own company in a minimum wage job. And shock, horror, working in a minimum wage job at Burger King is not very nice. He finds it very shocking. He thought all the people working in the restaurants were really happy to be doing it. It was their dream. And often at the end what happens is they buy a holiday for the hard-working person and then they go back and say in the boardroom, listen everybody, we've got to treat the staff better because if we do, the company will make more money. What a great learning experience. The boss lowers himself to find out something he didn't know and more than that, to get something back for himself. Higher profits. Now, if I was the power who held everything in the universe together, strange thought, but pleasing, (laughs) I'm not sure I would bother visiting a small planet on the edge of a tiny solar system. If I had to, I'd hope there was something in it for me. You know, I might be feeling lonely or having a low self-esteem day. And think, well, at least if I popped on there, everyone will make a fuss of me for a while. You know, they'll be like, wow, look at you. Or maybe I'd think, oh, well, I'm far away and I'm distant. I need to go there to see how it really works. How are they getting on down there in their minimum wage jobs? A bit like there's a story, I don't know whether it's true, that the day that the war ended, the Queen, the Queen of England, apparently went out and mixed with the crowd for a little while and celebrated with everyone. And then she went back to the palace. 
It was nice to mix with the hoi polloi for a little while, but then back to where I belong. That's probably what I would do if I was in charge of everything and had to come and visit this tiny little planet. I wonder what about you, if you consider that for a moment. You have a few years to live on the planet you made. What would you do? Here we find him, the word become flesh, the God who made everything, the one who holds everything together, kneeling down and washing the feet of some simple, uneducated country folks, including one of those who was plotting to have him killed. Now look at what John tells us in verse 3. He says, um, in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Strange, isn't it? I wouldn't have thought those things followed. I would have thought Jesus would have said, oh, I know that I'm God now, so everybody, game over. Can you all bow down and worship me and, you know, make a fuss of me, please? Please get me a cup of tea. But no, Jesus was not just taking a holiday from being God, stopping being God-like for a while and trying out being the lowliest human being. No, at this moment, Jesus knew that God, his Father, had given all the power to him. He knew at this moment he was going back to be with his Father, and it was because he knew that he got down on his knees and started washing some pretty disgusting feet. Now, I don't know what it is with the children's work in church at the moment. We have had several foot-washing-related children's talks. I don't know if they're doing a series on feet. Um, And someone actually a couple of weeks ago took off their shoes and held out their feet and said to the children, do you want to wash them? And even in our sort of very, like, clean, you know, I expect washed in advance feet society, all the children went and ran away. And even at bedtime in our house, someone was talking about, he made us look at his feet. So what is this all about? The God who made the world doing that for people. Well, here is what it's all about. There is only one God, just one, and the amazing truth about him is this. He is not the lightning bolt-throwing, self-loving, rule-obsessed God of our imagination. He is not Allah. He is not Zeus. The God behind everything is in himself one who constantly gives himself away to serve. He doesn't give up being God for a while to become human and see what it's like. When Jesus, the all-powerful one, gets down on his knees and performs this humiliating task for the sake of others, he is most showing us what the God who made everything is really like. Some uh, Christian leaders, bishops, try this out now and again. They once a year get down on their knees and wash the feet of some people. Now, I expect that all the people who know that's going to happen wash their feet very carefully first. And then the bishops get up and get back into their big black chauffeur-driven cars and pretty dresses and drive home to their palaces. But when Jesus does this, he is doing it because he's saying, that's because what I am always doing. 
God has always, even before the beginning as we known it, had within himself this relationship of giving himself away. Isn't that good? There's one principle, one thing, one word connecting everything, and he is a person, and he is not a person who grasps and uses and wants. He is a person who loves and gives himself away. And I think we know that's what lies behind everything, don't we? Because every plot of every film you have ever seen has been about that. Who is the hero of every film? The person who gives himself away for the sake of others. Why are we so attracted to that plot? Because the one who made everything is like that. There's something else too in this story. Simon Peter is told that he has already bathed all over and just needs his feet clean. What is that about? Well, the act of Jesus getting down and washing his disciples' feet is just almost an acted out picture of something much bigger. I mean, it's nice to have your feet washed, isn't it? But what is Jesus going to do? Follow us all round with a basin of pleasantly heated water and soap. Say, oh, look at me, I'm God, I can wash feet too. No, Jesus taught us that we need him to come and give himself away for us. Throughout his life, he said, there's a time coming when he'll be lifted up, when he'll be at his most godlike, the time when he most shows us what God is like. And it becomes clearer and clearer throughout his life that that means that moment when he's lifted up, when he will really show God to us, when the light really shines in the darkness, is when he dies. It's just a few hours, actually, after this foot washing incident that it was happened. He was arrested, a false trial, and executed in a horrific way. The word who was there in the beginning, grabbed by his own created people and bashed and nailed and beaten and stamped on and killed. You couldn't make it up. It would look like a terrible accident if he hadn't been predicting it all along. If he hadn't said that would only, that would be the great act of service of which foot washing is just a picture. Because he said he planned all of that to happen because in being lifted up, in dying, in giving himself away to death, he can make us clean all over. Just this week, we were discussing parenting with a friend of ours and she said, you know, sometimes I get angry and lash out and say something horrible to my child and then I say sorry and it just doesn't seem enough. The bad thing that's happened still sort of sits there between us. I think what she's expressing there is something we've all felt. That we need a sort of spiritual, a moral, a heart bath. I need to be cleaned all over. I need the bad stuff that I do to be taken away from me. That feeling often goes along with the feeling of being lost. A deep dirt, a stain, a badness about me that I can't escape. Sometimes it comes out as a desire to hurt myself. Sometimes just letting others hurt me. Because I feel so deeply dirty and stained and bad and I'm clawing at the dirt. And just saying sorry, 
just improving myself, just getting better self-esteem, it doesn't actually make it go away. And here is Jesus. And he says, you know that feeling? It's right. You are dirty. You get endless things wrong and you know it. There's a darkness in all of us that is real. But listen, there is a God behind everything. He doesn't just point the finger and say, get better. There's a God behind everything who has eternally been a servant, who's eternally been giving himself away. And that God who is there knows that our problem is that we do all of these things wrong. And so he served all of us in the way we really needed. When he died, he took all of that ugliness, that darkness, that wrongness on himself. He basically said, listen, if you will just own it, admit it, say you need help with it, I will pay for it. The word who was there in the beginning, the one who holds everything together, The one who is God and who was with God has always been a foot washer. He has always been the one who wants to give himself away for the sake of others. So he stepped into this world, not like the undercover boss to make it better for me, but to pay for us. The very important last words Jesus said of his earthly life were this, it is finished. And that is the offer he's making to us today, if you will ask him. He's saying, we'll make you clean all over. I will pay for you. It will be finished and done with, if you ask. The sands shift in the desert to reveal the oasis. It's a better, greener oasis than we could possibly have imagined. Not only is there a point Not only is it close to us and we can grasp it, the point is this. The God who made everything loves and gives himself away and does that for people to make us clean. God is a foot washer. God is a burden carrier. God who can choose to do anything chooses to serve us. Could it be better? But of course, if that's true, it changes everything. Because it means that people matter. Look at verses 13 to 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Well, that's sort of obvious, isn't it? If Jesus is the ultimate teacher and revealer of truth, he is the Lord, the one who made everything, And he says we matter so much that he will lure himself to serve us. Well, self-evidently, we need to do that too. Now, some Christians have interpreted this a bit strangely. They have a little service once a year where they actually do get out the cloth and wash each other's feet. I'm not going to make you do that. Were you nervous when we read the passage? I was like, so, everybody, take your shoes off. We'll head out to the toilets and do a bit of foot washing. No, foot washing is a picture of radical service. It's a picture of giving yourself away, bearing on yourself the dirt and rubbish that people collect from living in a messed up world. Look, Jesus says, if you decide that this message 
of me being God is true, and you give yourself to that because you kind of have to if it's real, then you are not greater than God. If he serves and serves in this humbling, tiring, self-giving way, then you do not get to skip it. Well, maybe you do. But what you're saying is that you're more important than Jesus. And you're not. Go and create a universe and come back and tell him that. People who are Christians here today, maybe you're visiting us and you're very welcome and you know people who aren't Christians, we need to confess we may not be doing the best job of communicating this. And if so, we want to say sorry. We come here and sing words of how great Jesus is and that he deserves the highest praise and then we are very slow to serve. We're very slow to love people, to take their failures and the cost of their failure onto ourselves. We'd rather make those people bear their own dirt. Thanks. We know we do believe, really we do, that the real God did something different to us. He bore our dirt. But really, in our heart of hearts, we think we are more important than him. And that's wrong. We're really not. Here in our church family, we even have this very practical problem. We're always learning this. There's plenty of people to whom we say, oh, will you serve other Christians in this way? And they just say, no. I've not yet said, oh, it's that because you think you're more important than Jesus, but maybe I should start. Sometimes we fall out with each other. Instead of bearing the pain of whatever it is that someone has done to sin against us and paying for it ourselves, like Jesus, who we do know is greater than us, we temporarily think we're greater than him and so think I can make that person pay for that bad thing they've done. In life, we fall back into thinking our choices should be all about making my life really great. There are great hordes of Christians in the world who seem to have made that, their political decisions that day that way. But when we do that, we are wrong. There is a God who is real, who is greater than us. We want everybody to look at and trust him and to see him. The light in our darkness. And we don't do him justice when we won't put others first. By the way, if you're a Christian and you feel stressed that you never really seem to point other people to Jesus very much, maybe that's your issue. Your words that he is worth trusting ring hollow because you don't serve like him. You see, considering Jesus, it will change everything. Once you trust him, you are made clean and right. The wrong things you do are forgiven with. It is finished. But you start walking down a long road of learning to act out in life that you're not greater than him. And he served everybody at his own great cost. You who are made clean become someone who, like the God who made everything, puts others first in every way. As you walk through life, you learn it has huge implications from what you decide to do with your life, to who you sleep with, to what your money is for, to who you vote for. We spend a lifetime learning what a clean life is, but the heart of it is that we are not greater than Jesus, who gave himself away. People matter. 
Well, I don't know where you are with all of this as we finish, but if it's all true, that it is, everything about the world is all about Jesus, that this first century peasant who cut history in two really is the word become flesh, then the last thing we see is this, this moment matters. The one thing you cannot say about this is that it's nice. It's really not nice. It's either total delusional rubbish, or it is the most significant thing that any of us have ever heard. If it's just true that there is one thing, one principle, one person who is the reason for everything, that is life-altering news. If it's not just that, but it's the happy truth that the one thing that binds everything together is the God who gives himself away. If it's not just that, but the sobering news that he needed to give himself away because we are deeply unclean. And not even just that, if we are made clean by the act of service of the greatest person who ever lived, we can do nothing except serve others. It is of the greatest possible importance. So what you do in this moment matters. In this moment, you can ask Jesus to make you clean. Accept his act of service for you. And if you've done that in the past, in this moment, you can offer up all the places you've slipped into thinking you're more important all the ways you've started to act as if you matter more than him, all the ways you require people to serve you rather than serving them, you can offer all of those to him. How we live in this world now that the word visited matters. Perhaps in this moment even more than most. Because in this moment you are choosing what to do with the God who holds the farthest reaches of the universe together, who is offering to serve you. In this moment, you can accept his offer of making you clean, or you can decide not to. Whichever way, this moment matters. So what I'm going to do is leave some quiet for a moment for you to think about what I've said. Then I'm going to pray a prayer that you can echo inwardly if you want to, to receive this offer to be made clean and embark on the journey of people mattering to you the way they matter to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that Jesus is the God who made everything. I'm sorry for putting myself first and ignoring you. 
Thank you that Jesus died to make me clean. And I want to trust him to do that. Help me from this day forward to put people first the way that he did. In Jesus' name, amen. If Morris said something that intrigued you or brought a question uh, to mind or something you want to react to in a statement, now's the time. Raise your hand uh, and uh, we'll do our best. I've got one to start, Great. maybe if I, if I warm the crowd up a bit. Yeah. Um, first of all, I do want to say uh, thank you for ruining the end of La La Land. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I mean, we, we don't need to go see it now. Yeah. Um, I didn't give the plot away, did and, I? No, just, you didn't. You she didn't. sings that song at the end. Um, yeah, well, we'll just leave them when that yeah. comes on. Um, the question I have is, okay, so let's say that, um, you know, okay, so we, we've heard this talk and we, maybe we've grasped what you've said, okay? So we believe that we matter, uh, or that matter matters, that we matter, that people matter, and that this moment matters. Let's say we grasp all that and we actually prayed that prayer. What now? Yeah. What not next? Well, that's a great question, um, and it'd be great if someone was in that position. I think, uh, basically... It's interesting, what the Bible seems to say is what you do is keep doing what you've done in that moment. So the way that the next thing to do is to keep trusting Jesus to put you right with God, and the next thing to do is to keep trusting Jesus to put you right with God, and you keep doing that. And that outworks in different ways. So it will um, outwork in you beginning to talk to God, we call that prayer. It will outwork in you beginning to meet with other Christians, we call that church. It will outwork in you beginning to... Uh, become like the person you're getting to know, Jesus, in that you begin to adopt an attitude of serving others, putting them first. And we do that together. So um, basically, if that's your question, ask a Christian near you and we start walking that path together with God and with uh, the church family. I'll just say one more thing. The other thing God, I didn't really talk about today because I didn't talk about everything, is that God does say if you pray that prayer... It's not that he says, great, now I get on with living as a Christian, but he, he says his Holy Spirit, he himself comes to live in your life to walk with you through that. And that's an amazing thing as well. But anyway, so much I could say to that, but that would be the place to begin. And then somebody. Pete. Yeah, yeah, so the question is, you know, taking take what I'd said before the talk and what Morris said, uh, let's say you take that step, you say, I'm, I'm going to be a Christian. Um, but then you, it doesn't feel like it's true. It doesn't feel true to life. What do you do in that instance? Yeah. I think the first thing I'd say is I'm not sure totally what we would expect it to feel like. Uh, the whole point of what John is saying to us in his gospel is that Jesus came to this world that we are in uh, to bring God's life into that normal world. It's not like he was doing something that should make this world totally different than it is. Uh, that it works in normal life. So... Don't worry if it feels normal. That is the point of Jesus becoming one of us. Um, the second thing I would say is that um, often our feelings follow our thoughts. So if this way of thinking is very new to you, it's not surprising that your feelings don't yet catch up with what you're thinking. That's often the way it is. Um, as you learn more to think God's thoughts after him, which I think is what we do when we read the Bible and sit under it, submit to it, the way you feel about the world and life will change. And that will be both good and bad, so there's a great joy knowing you're known by God, 
but then a whole lot of things you thought were fine before turns out weren't fine and they become things that are difficult for you. So it's both of those things together. But I don't think you should expect it to feel too bonkers and crazy and like there should be fireworks because the whole point of Jesus becoming human is that it's part of this normal world we live in. Great question. Thank you. Yeah. Lindsay. Yeah, so what, what's the difference between people who maybe are, are culturally Christian, as in they go to church all the time, but it doesn't seem to make a difference in their life, and then people who seem to actually do have a, a sort of heartfelt, genuine response? So what's the difference yeah. between that? I mean, I'd be slow to answer that question definitively, because I think people are all different, and it's not my job to say what's going on in people's hearts. But I think in that, that sort of phenomenon you're describing, it's all got to do with Jesus, really. Uh, Jesus basically is saying, if you meet me, your life will change. It's not that you have to change your life in order to meet me. But if you meet me and you see there is a God who serves everybody and he's greater than me, you, you will end up that shaping your life. But there are a lot of people who want to appropriate Jesus into a different type of religion that says, uh, I don't really want to meet you. I just want to be told some things to do so I don't have to meet you. <laughs> I don't have to change anything. And I think we've had a tradition in our country, it's getting less and less, but of a lot of that going on, which has been sad. And it's put a lot of people off the church. A lot of people have experienced church like that and thought, gosh, it's dry and dull and dead and boring, because it is. Whereas I think meeting Jesus is always life-changing. And I think that's the difference. Great question as well. Thank you, Lindsay.